The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. Thought I was dead near on back from the grill. Sup? Good morning, America. <laughs> Good morning, America. Good morning, China. Good morning, Japan. And good, good morning to evening. the European <laughs> Union. <laughs> What's up, y'all? I uh, have no appendix, feeling an ounce lighter, and I'm feeling great. Everyone's in surgery these days. I spent yesterday in the hospital with my mom. Nothing major, but I hate hospitals, and I was there, and it was terrible. Which means a lot, because that means you came to see me in a hospital. <laughs> I came to see you in a hospital. There's about five people that I would come to see in a hospital. <laughs> You're all this son of a bitch <laughs> making me come short. to the hospital. I'm like, well, I guess I got to go to the fucking but hospital. You got a great twice, picture of me. You got a great picture of me. I got some great footage. It's on the internet. Wait till the video comes out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's really good. Oh, yeah. You got to zoom in on my tum-tum, I think. <laughs> it's a good little, like, cut. Good. Yeah. Three cuts. Three cuts. Three cuts. One in the belly button. Oh, yeah. No, I can actually see all the way into my belly button today. Ew. I know. Well, I mean, you couldn't see into the belly button when you saw it. Yeah, it was it all was like a little butthole. Mega swollen. <laughs> it was like a... Um, super weird. What did it look like? Yeah, it looked like a cat gross. butt. Gross. Yeah, it was gross. More like an elephant butt. It was like, yeah, it was like skin covering what should be a hole. Or like a, like a <laughs> butt, yeah. butthole with a burn. <laughs> it was a burn, burn butt. Somebody just took like a nice scorcher right down the middle. <laughs> couldn't wipe up and it inflamed. It was like basically one huge hemorrhoid covering a butthole. That sounds like I don't actually know if that's true, but it feels right. The funniest thing was the grounding griddled people were in town. I know. I wanted to see them so they bad. They were just like, man, I wish I could have hung out with Jer. And I was like, I know he feels he feels the same way. He wants to hang out too. And at the meeting, they were like, dude, what's up with Jer? I'm like, he's just being a fucking wuss, dude. <laughs> I was like, here's the thing. Jared's hypochondriac. I am too. It's fine. It happens to us. And then three hours later, we're all, oh. <laughs> like, nope, he's really <laughs> in the hospital. He's in the hospital. <laughs> he's, I know. Uh, I saw Grace yesterday, and she was like, I was trying to just give you... So background on Grace, she's worked in hospitals prior to Cat and Cloud. She was on her way to becoming a doctor of sorts. But anyway, she was like, yeah, I saw you laying on the floor, and I realized that I knew your pain tolerance was pretty high because of CrossFit, and I felt... Like it wasn't a pulled muscle, but I didn't want to freak him out anymore. So I just stayed away. <laughs> and then she's like, glad to know it was, <laughs> you took care of it quick. I'm going to keep 20 feet. Yeah. Not going to, not going to approach the jair. I mean, it was, yeah. Not going to do I it. I should have known by the time I was laying on the ground, knowing that I couldn't get up, but it's hard to tell. I don't know pulled though. Muscles. If you go, like if you hard. pull a muscle, it hurts really it's bad. bad. And I'd never had before. And so I was just you, trusting it. I've never had it. But from what I hear, if you have something like rhabdo, it's gnarly. Yeah. Where and you can and be like peeing blood and like 
Yeah, it gets dark. Puking blood and all. I didn't have that, guys. No, that's but good, too. They did potentially think that. They did And then you're blood. in your own head. You're like, well, I know sometimes I overreact. Yep. So maybe I'm just cool. overreacting. Just play it cool. Anyway. Call the doctor. Times to call the doctor if you think you may have appendicitis. The minute you have a fever or the minute you throw up because of your super lower right pain, right about that swimmer's muscle. This is free medical advice. Yep. And uh, from the Cat and Cloud podcast. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. welcome. Save your money. Don't go to the just kidding, you go to the doctor. Go for to the sure. doctor. <laughs> go get direct primary care doctor. Yeah. It is he's they're the greatest. Yarmay will come visit you in the hospital. Mm. And this has been a sponsorship for Dr. Yarmay. Dr. Adam Yarmay. <laughs> Santa Cruz direct primary care. But I'm in the fucking We're not sponsored. We're at Stanford and we're in the pre op area Ugh. waiting for hours for my mom's yep. whatever. And then the doctor comes in. So there's two doctors. There's one doctor who is her doctor, who's some sort of like a legend, I guess. I don't know. In the cardiac world. You said Stanford? Stanford. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Ledges, so, ledges never die at Stanford. Yeah, she goes to... She was going to UC Davis, and now she goes to also Stanford because it changed. But yeah, which is... Uh, she goes to bat for it every time because she lives in Modesto. And she's like, I'm not seeing any of these fucking people here. No disrespect, but they're all terrible. And she worked with all of them. <laughs> she worked or with she all worked of them. close enough to yeah, know their she, reputations on the real. So then the the dude who comes in who's actually doing the procedure, which I, I think he's like a fellow or something. So he's like, yeah, you know, a few years younger than us, like young doctor dude. Totally. And they're just like getting into it. It's so funny. He's like, well, let's talk about this. And she's like, well, let's talk about this. And he's like, oh, okay. I see what's you going came on here. The medical field. Yeah, I can they, tell. They argued for like 10 minutes and it was hilarious. Really? Yeah. And then they were both really excited because they like got on each other's page. Yeah. That's and then tight. she was just like, I don't mean to give you a bunch of shit, but I've just been around. And she's like, he's all, no, no, this is like the most fun I've had all day. This is way more fun than the last three hours of my life. That's sick. It was pretty cool. Makes sense because these dudes get just people don't know at all what they're talking about. And then they try to tell the doctor like they know. And the doctor's all, dude, just oh. let me do this thing that I'm. I've been in school for like 13 years. Before. Yeah, it's like I'm really smart and yeah. I worked really hard at this. And, and this is I, my one I fucking know a thing. Lot. This is all I do. <laughs> yeah. And the fucking late, I'm not trying to judge, but man, the lady across the curtain from us, yeah. I didn't even see her, but I just heard her. Oh, and I, I was know. just like, oh no. Because people just go deep victim when they go into the <sighs> she hospital. She just wanted all the attention, yeah, which I understand. I know I sound like an asshole. You're in the hospital, but it's like, no, there's a difference. It, it was, it was, yeah. I only, you know, like you, you don't need to call them at every single thing. You call them when you like, feel like you really need something. And it was just like, well, I'm different than everyone you've ever seen. Of course. And I'm the unicorn. Dude. Definitely the weirdest person you've ever seen. Anyway, I, whatever. I'm glad to be out of the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> Hospitals are cool. Me too. I'm glad to be out. I've been basically off all week. What's the turnaround for uh, you? The turnaround, honestly, the annoying part of the turnaround is that I look online and the, the people who told me in the discharge papers, like they all say a lot of different things. So it kind of comes down to I'm, I'm over today's like just it's a full week since I got my surgery. Right. Friday. So according to them, I can lift more than 10 pounds today. But the pers- after today, there's like all sorts of mixed messaging on like what, how much to work out, how much to exercise, how much to lift. So I'm, I'm going to go with like light and listen to my body, but everything says you can resume exercising even in your first week. But I think uh, there's different the, kinds exactly. of exercising. So like exercising, I think to the general public, I think they're includes talking about like, like walks. You're on a treadmill literally, or something yes. like that. And like, so that's like, about it. I'm going to do, I am going to do some exercise today, but it's going to be very light on the core. I'm going to like do 
super light kettlebell deadlifts and bear crawls and maybe some like strict presses where I don't do much other than that. And yeah. Like, like single under jump ropes. or something yeah. like even the jump rope sounds a little. Well, yeah, it'll be just like slow. Intense. Are you going to pick the kids up at Disneyland? You're going to be at Disneyland. I will. I can pick, pick the kids up, up now. You can like carry them. I or honestly. So, I mean, and this is I'm I'm stronger than most people because of my last year and a half or whatever in CrossFit. So it's like. Stuff that I think they would assume would be heavy for most people in the world doesn't feel right. heavy to me at all. Like yeah. my muscles, I don't need. You're not like really. I don't need my core to get stuff up. Where some people like need their core to get something ten pounds or more up. Yeah, you're using like your whole body I to pick up like a grocery stuff. bag. You're like, yeah. where I you're like, fully, yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> this is light, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'll pick up. I'll pick up my kids. I think, but we are gonna bring. We weren't planning on bringing a. What do we call those things? A trolley. Yeah, it's a trolley in the other states. But a trolley? Uh, no, it's a freaking stroller. Stroller. That's what they're called. A troller. A stroller. Yeah, we're gonna bring one of those, and we'll see what happens. But f it, dude. I'm there, man. One week. One week, and then you, Chuck, and I are gonna disappear into the minutiae for three days and get really aligned for 2019, or at least the start of 2019, I should say. How about that? That's um. A long time coming. I feel like we should have done. We we kind of skipped that last year. We've been, I mean, not uh, using our time as effectively as we could have, but we also learned a shit ton this year, and I think that's been awesome. I also feel like you and I again came to similar conclusions through completely different paths via different books, and that was kind of cool too. Pretty classic, yeah. And like, a, and yeah. So like, I've been reading the Coaching Habit, and I'm just gonna vouch for it and i'm also listening to it doesn't have to be crazy at work which you went hardcore vouched for as well and they're not the same at all but they do share a lot of similar beliefs i'm noticing side by side and just different perspectives right and And that's cool coaching habits good i'll vouch i'll vouch i'll double vouch for that one too because i picked that up when i was having that like stupid week last week and i was like well at least i'll get something yeah, you had medical stuff too at least your face get, exploded at least i'll get some learning done yeah you know while this whole situation is going on and i like that book it's it's really easy to understand it's easy to digest the coolest thing about books like that like um the coaching habit the base camp book or kind mm-hmm. of all the books that we've been reading is through those books they pull information from a lot of other books. Yep. So it gives you a never ending like path yep. of things to check out and things to engage on. Like you were talking about, um, you sent that clip over. I can't remember how many things it is. It's like seven or nine things. Oh, that the people, nine things. Yeah. That was, I want to get People into need that. to feel generally quote unquote happy or yeah. safe or whatever. And that is a whole, that's its whole other thing where I've heard that reference before, but mm-hmm. that's, that's a book to check out or some research studies to check out. Mm-hmm. There's then on the next page, they talk about something called Terra and I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but that was also something that could be majorly applicable very quickly and just weird science with like. Stuff that is so important that people I don't think take enough time to digest. And I think that's another thing. Uh, so I started listening to, and I guess I'm going to shout out Box of Crayons because that's their, that's their company. That's their overarching company, but they have their little YouTube series also on the side. Yeah. And just talking about things like people subconsciously, scientifically, every five seconds are asking themselves, Am I safe is this in a this safe environment? Place to be? Yeah. yeah. And that's stuff that is like, you can work to make that feeling happen in every part of your company, but that statement alone takes so much focus to even think through and so much time to think through how to make that happen. And yeah, and the other part is just like taking the time to think about how to apply all these things we're learning in these books is something that I think all owners and leaders need to take time to do. For sure. 
I can't remember the nine things, but I know one of yeah. them is like autonomy. There's, there's mm-hmm. a lot. There's a lot of them. Anyway, it's easy to see how you could start a company, start on your journey, be really happy, friendly, mm-hmm. and think you're doing a good job, and not understand why people aren't responding to you or why people generally seem low energy mm-hmm. or unhappy. And even though you might be doing your best and bringing some positive energy, if some of those things are missing, you're basically not meeting those people's basic human needs, you know, as individual humans. Right. And you're missing the mark, even though you don't know. Yeah. And they end up becoming distracted or low energy and they actually can't even name it a lot of the right. time. That is the, that is the most intense part for me about this whole journey is figuring those things out when people have issues that they can't express they might not even bring them up to you it's partly your job to kind of figure out what's going on and the same thing applies to yourself especially when you're digging in to find like your own personal mission statement Mm -hmm. what makes you happy it's not as obvious as you would think and it can be really frustrating and it's like a really big process when you did the start with why exploration, whatever, week or month, however long that took yeah. when you sat down with that random person that you didn't really know to do it because that's the <laughs> yeah. whole point. Were they, and did you ha- ask questions that were in the coaching habit? Oh, interesting. It's, yeah. It's, I was wondering about that. It's similar to that. So they do share two things. And it's funny because in the coaching habit book, he specifically... Um, He's, he mentions He mentions Simon Sinek and yeah. he talks about start with why and he talks about asking questions that start with why are actually a bad way to go. Yeah. And to ignore that. Yeah. But which was really interesting. If you read the find your why book, Simon Sinek says the exact same thing. Right. He says questions that start with why are really difficult to answer. Mm -hmm. It's better to use questions that start with what. Right. And to get to your why. To get to your why. Because what's are easy to express because the part of the brain that deals with emotion the part of the brain that deals with why is a totally opposite part of the brain that deals with language, Mm -hmm. which is why if you ask somebody like, you know, why do you love so-and-so? Like, why do you love your wife? Why do you love your family? It's hard to express why you might be in love with the person that you're in love with because Mm -hmm. you got two different centers of your brain, like activating, like kind of fighting about each other. So if better question is like, what is it about your spouse that makes them feel awesome to you? That makes you want to be with them? And that is, for whatever reason, right, easier to express. You can get some concrete answers. But the same, for sure, the same ideas. Whereas in the in the coaching habit, it's like the leading question: What's on your mind? Yeah. And it's. I think the key is that it's a really open ended question. Yeah. You're not leading the witness in nope. any particular way. You're allowing them to speak, mm-hmm. and then you know they'll tell you whatever, and then you can follow up with the same thing. Anything else? Yeah. Is there like, anything oh, there else? there is more. Oh, there is more. Yeah. And, and it's the same idea, which is open-ended questions and asking follow-up questions, but never, when you're doing a why discovery, do you want to say something like this? Like, did that make you feel scared? Yeah, or insert the that, blank. Yeah. Yeah, you, no you, good. No suggestions yeah. are allowed. Nope. It's supposed to be like, you know, how, like, you have to put the pressure on them right. to talk to you. Well, because we all want answers. Because we all want answers. And it's easy to get answers. Like, it's, it is the default to get to the, your conclusion the easiest way in your brain, no matter what you wish you felt. So if somebody gives you an answer that feels like it's close, you're going to go, yep, that's actually what I was feeling. Right. And then you feel that relief of tension. Yeah. Even you if you're not in anything. the right place. You did not solve your problem. And it's the same thing, because we took some of those 
start with why or find your why questions and put them into that little interviewing thing mm-hmm. that we did. And one of the keys there was to sit in silence. Yeah. And if you ask somebody something and they don't say something right away and they're processing, don't interrupt them with, well, well, maybe you just felt like, um, mm-hmm. you know, you just didn't have the tools. It's no, mm-hmm. let them process. Don't even rephrase the question. Don't even rephrase way. the question. Just yeah. sit. And yeah. that's okay. Wait for it. It's for sure a painful silence. It's hard. But it's super important. The more you practice it, the better. I'm one of those lucky people who I'm like a, a, a three on the Enneagram, actually. For anybody who used to listen to me, I thought I was a one. I was wrong. I'm a three. But that just basically means that I want to achieve something. So it's actually just reading through the book and getting getting the the reason, the why, and why it works so well has helped me to be able to feel way more comfortable being silent because I know the end goal. But for some, before I knew that, it was so hard for me not to help somebody answer their own question and to put even some sort of projection on it. And it, it, that's what it takes sometimes for people is get a clear understanding of why something works the way it does and to get it. Yeah. So it was just really interesting for me to get from this place really quickly and kind of powerful that I could read through this book and be like, Oh, that's why. And then to try it like the next day and not even be a professional at this, but just know if I do these three little things right now, let's see how it works. And to see pretty major fruit like overnight. It's a cool book and a cool system because it's instantaneously like applicable. Yeah. You can roll with it right away. And I love that. It's just like, man, now I'm, insanely deep in thought with this whole situation. Search. People learn better when they can figure out the answers for themselves. Always. You know what I'm it saying? It sinks in. When their brain has to go through the process of digging for the answers, filing those things, and then coming up with what they think is the right answer, that's going to set in more than you jumping into the conversation and telling them, hey, maybe you should do this. You know, someone comes to you with a question like, I feel like this thing needs to happen. And you can go, cool all right, this is what you need to do. You fix it with this, that, and the other. Go! And that's like the classic machismo, like American leader to where it's like, I feel big, I feel powerful, I feel important because I get to tell people what to do, and that's what people want in a leader, and that's what's going to make my company successful, and that is the biggest load of bullshit ever because what you create is you create dependency. Yeah, You're not growing the people. You're just puffing your chest, and then... If they never get the opportunity to work through these things and activate their own brainwaves, they're always depending on you. And they're going to come right back to you every time. Every time. Which means you'll never get anything done but their job. You're swamped down. You can't do your job because you're always busy doing everybody that works for you's job. Yeah. I think there's like one-tenth of the leader's job is doing specifically directing traffic like that. It's probably, I'd call it one-tenth. Like 10% of the entire leader's job in terms of leading is that time where they somebody literally just needs you to say, this is what I need to do. And the rest of it is like, and I want to explore the seven leadership styles just because I don't know them well. Right. But that's something that apparently is another thing in these books that people talk about. There's seven, seven general leadership styles. Coaching is the least utilized leadership style because it's the hardest. No, it's, it's like the most ethereal and it feels the most simple yet. It's the most, one of the, I think he said the three most effective. It was one of the most effective. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's their argument is they just want to pour into specifically that form of leadership style and help people to become coaches just because it's the least wearing on you as a leader with the most return. Right. Yeah. So that's been an interesting thing. 
I don't know. I guess we just got straight there somehow because we talked about leadership, but it's been a, that's been cool. That's been a really fun thing for me to get into. I'm going to read this book probably like three or four times. And, uh, yeah, but it was funny. The thing that made me realize that when I was reading it is that they did that whole statement of it's becoming more and more clear that being busy isn't actually a good thing at all. And being overcommitted is actually not good at all. And usually the term strategy is thrown around way too much. And strategy actually is knowing what to say no to. And just like a number of other factors that support this idea. And it's, and just knowing like when you say yes to something, what are all the things you're saying saying no no to to everything else? Yeah. Like by accident, like saying, so for instance, for us, this is actually something that, happened most recently and there are things factors outside of it so we had this orientation since we have made our values clearer and simpler and more digestible we had not redone our orientation and we're always going to continue to improve on things so we needed to hire some people which we all agreed on and uh, i said yes and so tanner who's in charge of essentially setting up the process, we pushed that first domino and we said yes to that, that realized, which we had a a plan for, we need to rework orientation. And we thought we had all of our ducks in a row. Then I get appendicitis, go into surgery, wake up from surgery and realize that we actually don't have a revised manual or anything to give the team. And it's Friday morning or Friday. We're giving it on Monday. I'm not going to go home from the hospital till Saturday. And I'm the only one who knows this at this point. And it was super interesting to be like, okay, I have to throw this out there, but the dominoes already pushed. We have all these things in play and all these people kind of working on their individual things. And it's just became this, we said yes to a lot of extra work that we didn't think through because we said yes to taking care of this need without stopping and thinking about it and talking through all that goes into accomplishing what we planned on accomplishing. And it was interesting. What do you think you would have done differently from the get-go? I would have said tentative yes. We can't pull the trigger until we sit on this for a couple days and write down all the things that need to get done for us to be able to successfully run this orientation and have everybody write it down and come back to the next meeting to make sure we didn't miss anything. Because we missed one of the main factors... And when I said yes, we went into list mode and we didn't go into critical thinking mode. So everybody just assumed that Tanner had it and he did have it for the very, very most part. And it was also his first time doing this. So why would we expect him to bat a thousand on his first time doing anything? So it was just this whole compound effect of like, we didn't actually set ourselves up for a success. We just said, yeah, we got this. We've done this a million times and we didn't have it. It's so, so interesting. So there's a, oh, Wow. It's, it looks grosser than it is because that plastic stuff, and I wear sweatshirts. So oh my gosh, bond, I'm they looking put bond at, on I'm my stomach. I had to stretch. I had to lean back and like pull my pants down a little because it's <laughs> it's pushing on my, one of my cuts. I'm looking at the wounds. It, they look super They're captivating because they put this deep cut glue on my stomach on all the cuts, and that glue everything sticks to it. So I've been wearing like no shirt with a sweatshirt and the sweatshirt's black. So like they're stained all, all they like, like black lint on the outside of them. Gunky. <laughs> yeah, it's super gross looking. You see that. That uh, idea mirrored in the Basecamp book yep. to where they talk about, instead of FOMO, the fear of missing out, they talk about JOMO, the joy of missing out. Dude. And the idea that if you say no to something, you say no to one thing. If you say yes to something, you say no to 
every other possibility. So you need to be pretty sure that you're saying yes to the right things. Right. And what you talked about, which is like, what would I have done? Okay. I would have said, let's sit on this for a day Mm -hmm. has been my new favorite strategy overall of being like, yeah, let me think about it. Mm-hmm. Let's let's take let's take a day or two right. and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Because in the moment you have a ton of you just don't have that clarity all the time. You right. feel a lot of pressure to make a decision. You don't really have to. You mm-hmm. feel the pressure to say yes or no, which is another thing that you see mirrored in the base camp book too, in the way that they pitch ideas. So the classic idea pitch is like, All right, I got an idea. Hey everybody, let's have a meeting. I'm going to invite six people to this meeting. I'm going to share this new idea with you. We're all here. Here's my big idea. And this person shows you all the hard work they put into this idea, why it's going to be awesome, all of this stuff. And on the fly, like within five minutes, you are supposed to be like, yes or no. And it's a lot of pressure because you can see how much hard work the person put into it. And you don't want to be defeating and be like, well, you know, I don't know. Let me think about it. So they pitch in a different way to where they release the pitch deck to people Mm -hmm. before the meeting happens. Mm, That's smart. To let people absorb it on their own for about a week. So they can have questions. Then they can have questions. Then after they've had a time to process it, then they can have the meeting where the actual pitch happens. They've already been stewing on some of these Mm -hmm. ideas for a while. And now they can actually have a conversation. That Q&A. So much smarter. Dive deeper. Right. Because we've made so many decisions to where I was just like, oh, shit. Like, a few days later, I wish I would have thought about this before I was like, yeah, cool, let's do this. Or no, let's not. Well, and the thing is, is like, I've realized, too, what you accidentally will do if you say yes to stuff like that is you immediately stop the critical thinking process because, especially when you're a trusted leader, everybody just assumes you've got it. So that was also really hard for me because, and it happened to Kristen a little bit through that weekend, too. She had the flu and was had a day off, but she ended up having to, on the fly, try to fix some of this stuff. I was in surgery, and I felt like I was the only one who could help. And it was just like these things happened. And it's it's honestly my fault as a leader prior to that just be by saying yes, because it was like, cool, Jared said yes, it's on. And if you just say, okay, I want everybody to think about this for a couple of days. We're going to come back at this time, write down all the pros and cons or the yeses and noes as to what's going to happen. Then somebody else, like, you really expect one person to, to remember everything? The answer is no, and it should never be yes. And then you actually can come back with a very clear picture of what the operation is going to look like from the smartest people in your organization. Well, not the smartest, the leaders in your organization. The smartest There are people. a lot of smart people. But amongst the smartest people in your organization who you have there just to support you anyway, they're going to make you look good. You're going to help make them look good. So the minute you take off critical thinking off that table, it gets weird. And it's really easy to take critical thinking off the table with a simple yes. Yeah. Or even a simple no. Either way. Because the process is done. Yeah. Either way, it's shut down. You're like... Prolong the process a little more is really smart. Until you do have to be able to set deadlines and you do need to be able to move forward too at times. So that's a different conversation. Yeah. I mean, everything in leadership is like that though. Everything's a dichotomy. You know, you, you need to take ownership. But if you take too much ownership yep you can actually hamper that learning process Mm -hmm. it everything's it dude it's like a fucking razor's edge always every day yeah definitely one of the hardest things i've ever done just being in charge of some group of people 
Yeah, I mean, you're in, yeah, you're in charge essentially of those nine things in the context of their future while they're with us. And our goal is not to have their time be short with us. So you and I and Charles want to put as much time as possible into taking care of people because longevity is a is something that's really valuable to us. Uh, it's it's crazy. You're totally right. I it, think it's really. But the other side of it is. I know like at the heart of us that we care more than most at working on these things. And these things I believe are some of those, they're not magic or like anything of the sort, but they are differentiators that most companies don't take into effect until they're quite a bit bigger. And somebody usually comes from the outside and says, you need to start working on all these things. And it's maybe a little too late for some of those companies. A big organizational change just takes a lot, yeah. a lot longer. And then you have the problem when you get the ball rolling so hard, if you've been in business for three, four, five, six, seven years or whatever, and then someone comes from the outside mm-hmm. to change everything, even if people know it's for the better, there's going to be resistance to that change because they're going to be like, I've been here for fucking five years. I don't even know who these people are. They're yeah. telling us we need to do this, that, and other. All right. of a sudden, my job's totally different. And it's just, it feels uncomfortable mm-hmm. and strange. And it it's also, even though it's for the better, it's just like, what? why is this place so disorganized? Mm-hmm. It, it's weird. Mm-hmm. You can know that something's intuitively good for you, but still fight against it because you've gotten used to one thing for so long. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And it's uh, it's nuts. And you talk about taking good care of people. We want to make right. sure that people feel taken care of. And before, I would think that maybe taking care of people is just making sure that they're, you know, as happy right. as they can be. And then I'm like, oh, people actually need to be challenged quite a bit to feel happy even if they don't know that, oh, for sure, they um, they respond better mm-hmm. when there's a certain level of good positive stress mm-hmm. in the form of growth and challenges, and finding that balance between beating someone down mm-hmm. versus lifting them up while pushing yep. the appropriate amount of pressure on them is really really tricky. And for every person, it's different, right? And that's and for every leader, it's different, and for every organization, it's different. And that's yeah. that's one of the things that. They talk about in that leadership myth and reality book is mm. that you can't replicate leadership styles on the fly. You oh hell to, no! You need to figure out what works with you. There are some truths, like you know the nine things that people need to be fucking sure on on top but notch. That doesn't make you a different leader. That just makes you have some facts, right? That makes you have some facts, and then you need to navigate. In that, learning to navigate is so deep, and also recognizing that there is a process to this. So, Chris and I have this. We get to get to Z in our minds as to how things work or can work like weeks to months faster than the people who are in the cafe every day, only seeing how their life affects these people who come into their cafe and the people around them. And so like we can have all these amazing big ideas that make total sense to us in the pathway and everything. But if you're not able to communicate that stuff a lot and effectively and consistently through all channels, somebody in the bottom can be like, I do not understand why you're so excited and believe so much in X idea or X solution because they, because just the message hasn't been clear enough all the way through. And so just working on communication with that and being patient in the process of change is kind of a, something to consider as well during this thing. And which is really neat to know for us, but it's something I've been able to, through conversations, I can get somebody to closer to Z really quickly, but I personally don't have 
the in time as an individual to go through our whole organization as these things happen. So something that has just come up, not come up, that has just been put on my plate that I'm really excited about is the idea of clarity in communication, focusing on a few major things and letting people know that, and, and I sent out a video yesterday, like we are focusing as a leadership team in retail on these things. And until they are done, we are not working on anything big until they are done because there's nothing more important for our foundation until. And that way everybody in retail can get at least a snippet of like, okay, it might feel stagnant for a minute, i.e. I'm just going to work. I'm not hearing a lot of new initiatives. I'm not hearing about the future a ton, but I know they're working on something that is a big project and it is going to take a minute. And until they're done with that, I'm not supposed to hear anything new and exciting about the future because they've shared that with me. And we need to share progress of that along the way so people know kind of that we're making moves because it's encouraging for people to know that our company is moving even when reality is, is we are going to be working day in and day out on making coffee for people, making their days and changing their lives by leaving people happy when we found them. So that's something that has been neat and exciting and I feel really encouraged to lean into as we move into 2019. So just pre-sharing, but also that's, that's a thing. 2019 is going to be great. It's going to be hot. It's going to be our most challenging year yet. And I'm excited because I believe big time in what we're about. I feel the most equipped that I've ever felt. Same. And I don't feel like I'm even near the pinnacle or the peak or whatever. Not even close. I just feel over the past couple years that growth and development of what I thought I could do and who I thought I could be. And I remember the first like couple leadership books or you know whatever you want to call them books that we picked up. Just trying just to find like, our way. I was like, geez, this is like it felt like I was at the first day of school. Yeah, in a new high school, and I didn't have any friends, and I was supposed to learn all this stuff, and at the same time make friends, and I'm just like floating around, and you just like don't feel like you'll ever see the top of the mountain or even feel mm-hmm. comfortable enough in your own skin. And I felt that way for probably the first really the first year and this last year has been probably the biggest year of growth for myself. Oh, for sure. You're just doing something that you don't know anything about. But now I'm, I'm really embracing the journey. Mm-hmm. I know that there is no mountaintop, that it's like a mm-hmm. constant learning. It's a constant learning experience and there's an endless sea of things to try and things to implement. And I feel good about that. And I feel good about whatever place we've gotten to now in that we've committed to this process mm-hmm. of trying to be the best version that we can be. Right. To bring to every the people. Year. Every year. Every day, every month. Every, like yeah. cranking it up all the time. And I see people appreciate that. Right. And that makes me really, really happy. What was your optimism level when you were reading through all of these books and seeing like in these books the potential for a person in the context of like your belief in yourself to be able to get to these places? Because I know you and I are very different in our mental approaches to stuff like that. Yeah, I felt the first couple of things I read with leadership, I was just like, I don't even know if this is for me. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. The first few things I came across felt really fluffy. It felt really kind of like, oh, okay, this is how this is how you pump people up or this is how you right. get people cheery and this is how we're going to like make everyone smile. And I'm just like, where is the substance here? I don't understand. And I was like, maybe I'm too grumpy to be a leader. Maybe no, that's like the charismatic leadership style, <laughs> which is one of them. Yeah. And I'm yeah. Like, maybe maybe this Pulling isn't maybe this isn't like the the sweetest thing for me. So the first yeah, the first probably 
three or four months, I was just kind of felt defeated. And I, I felt like there's only a specific kind of person who is going to be able to work with me. Right. And it was kind of defeating. And then I went through this whole mental process of like, oh, cool. Like maybe I'm less of a leader. Maybe I'm just like an individual contributor. Maybe I have like a really good skill set and I'm not supposed to be in charge of human beings at all. Mm. Maybe I'm more of like a, a really good worker. I knew I always knew how to identify what's good and what's not. Like, yeah. When are we hitting the mark and when are we missing the mark? Sure. And how do we fix that? That's like really, that's really easy to identify for me. You got the seven right no, there. No, yeah, it's cool. I'll, I'll go over, I'll, we'll briefly talk about them in a second. You can maybe off the top of your head without us going into deep definitions, call out what you think you might be off the top. And, or no, you, you think I might be maybe. Oh, let's see. Maybe I can break them down. I could probably do a better blog spot. We got ourselves autocratic, democratic, coaching, strategic, transformational, laissez-faire is real still, and charismatic. Oh, geez. So... I will be, I can, I mean, I can just tell you that I originally was more of like a charismatic strategic leadership style to begin with. And so everybody has a combination of all seven, Mm. but most likely you usually lean on one or two. Uh, But uh, the coaching one is the one I'm leaning into the most because that allows you to empower people underneath you right now. I think. You, I think what was the one autocratic where you just know exactly what needs to get done. I actually could start leaning into at first, right. but I knew and I've always kind of known that the autocratic leader, by the way, the one who leans into the autocratic leadership the most in the world right now they use is Donald Trump. Right. Because he's like a, this is how you do it. It's my way or the highway. That's probably my default when I'm sitting there thinking about it. And I, I think that's just probably how I was brought up and how but you're not cold in it you can explain the whys so like when you say when i say somebody like donald trump everybody goes oh hell no but the difference is between somebody like chris and autocratic and donald trump and autocratic is donald trump can't back up what he's saying with like real reasoning chris usually 99.9 percent of the time has a very good reason to tell you why it needs to happen the way you had it it was interesting right or wrong i remember when we took the um years ago i can't remember what disc yeah, disc. Yeah. The disc assessment. Um, one of my things was like heavy D, like big yeah. decision making, yeah. like boom. on the fly, boom, let's get it done, whatever. But I'm actually, even though I still have those tendencies, I'm kind of navigating away from that a little bit because I've seen in the past at previous jobs that it does make people overly reliant on me. Yep. And it does stunt their learning process. And even though that's could be like a default style, it actually doesn't make me feel that good. No, you know it really what I mean? doesn't. It makes me feel better. Isolating, right? When I, yeah, it makes me feel alone, but I never get that juice. So when, when someone on my team brings something to me that they've done all by themselves, mm-hmm. like they've spearheaded an initiative, took it to Z and got something that's new, interesting, that's value to the company, that makes me the most happy. Mm-hmm. And I'm leaning into that a lot more. Right. Whereas like, I really care less about my own successes. Mm-hmm. I'm caring more about my own growth. And I don't... Like if I didn't... If I went into 2019, and from a company's perspective, if I had zero wins, mm-hmm. if I ran... Personal? Personal. Yeah. If I had zero personal wins where someone can point and be like, Baca did that, that's awesome... But my team had like all kinds of wins. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. 
Yeah. I, I like, I'm really wanting to take the back seat in that situation. Right. And build a team and set of teams where people can self-navigate. Obviously, you have to be there for feedback. Obviously, coach feedback, you're yeah. like the guiding light. Yep. But... And it's it's a, just a lot of a different style than being like, hey, go ahead and do this. This is what we need to do. So that's actually, yeah, so that moves into strategic. So I guess in the quick, I could actually quickly give you an overview of what these are. Autocratic is like all power and authority is for the boss. Democratic involves your team, obviously. So that means that everybody's included in making the decision. So I actually, and that I thought I was misreading earlier. I thought strategic was that. I actually would probably lead originally more towards democratic charismatic. Then number three, the coaching leadership style is one we've been talking about this whole podcast, so you kind of get that idea now. Strategic is what you're talking about, which is influencing others to take on and handle the business in a good way, right? And then their wins are their wins, and you get to help lead them to that. And that's right. the strategy is getting them to take to step up on their own, take ownership, and run the thing. That's a very good... And then transformational is the most desirable, which is crazy. And I think we're both working on that too. And it's just, it's a team building version, like being able to bring everybody. And I, I might have a little bit of this in me as like a, my like gift, but it's just being able to get everybody to believe in a big vision. You do too, actually. In different ways. But yeah, Yeah. but like, that is something I feel like I have always been able to clearly see a long-term goal picture of our company. And I feel like I've been pretty good at helping people to see their place in it. And that's been, I think one of my X factors in helping us start. Yeah. And while it's not, it's only used essentially in like vision talks seldomly, but I think that's one. Anyway, that's what that is. Laissez-faire means let them do, (laughs) let it be, which is essentially you just trust your team and basically stay out of the way altogether. It's like laissez-faire economics. And then charismatic is right. You just get people really excited. You can, you win over everybody with your charm and charisma, which we actually both can do. And we do do, we just back it up with a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fluff. It's not just empty, but it helps people to get excited about what we're excited. I could think of some, people who fall into that right now. I think we're thinking of the same people. I think we're thinking about the same person. (laughs) Anyway, those are the general seven leadership styles. There's a lot more to it. I am going to my actual current goal after the two or three books that I'm looking into finishing right now is to dive into those a little bit more and just see, just see again, a lot of being a great leader is learning and taking the time to learn. And if you aren't doing that for yourself, and that was one of the coolest things about the box of crayon videos. It's like any boss who walks by somebody in upper leadership or mid leadership and sees them kind of sitting there staring off into space should not default be like, what are they even doing? It no. needs, it's like people need to be smart about their decisions. And hopefully if you're doing a good job as a leader, you know that anybody who's quiet or taking time is not just using it to F off and do their world and like be lazy. It's because they need to process and think through something that will greatly affect the world around them. If you don't have time to detach from your tasks, you are never going to progress. Right. If you're always in the weeds, if you're always cranked to the max, right. We see that all the time. You need to be able to have some still time. Yeah. You need to be able to have time for thinking and to figure out new things and to work through things. Like that's just part of being, that's part of it's being human too. In, it's human. Like meditation counts as well, but this is not what we're talking about. Right. But it's, we've been so conditioned to be like, 
you're at work. You got to go, 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 go. And not just go, 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 but make sure that it looks like you're go, 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 go. So everybody else thinks that you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jared's getting stuff done. He's going for it. And when, because of that, when people do see someone just taking some time, sitting, thinking about stuff, planning, or, you know, like part of our job is this part of our job is looking into these things. Part of being a leader in organization is learning more about this stuff. That's not extracurricular. That's it required. Is the most important thing that, we can do for the future of our company. That, that is work. So if you have leaders are doing that too, it's it's difficult to get to that culture to where people just don't assume like, oh yeah, they're not doing anything. Totally. I think the call out for the end of this podcast because we have to go to our owner meeting. One of the call outs is for every leader to take time through their week to actually sit and think through what is happening and how it's happening in the, and for your next whatever week even, and how you can affect it and move it forward in a way where it's not overly busy and overly a shit show. You need everybody in, that's a shout out to my team too. If you're not setting aside time for yourself to literally not do, but to either read or think about your actual objectives and what is the most important for what you need to do for our company moving forward you're actually not doing part of your job. Right. And that, for a lot of us doers, is going to be very hard, but I'm telling you all to practice starting right now. <laughs> Those are your action plans for we, the week. That's I'm real. back. That's, no, that is real. It's super real. It I took mean, me forever to feel comfortable with that. It's hard. It's everything that you've learned up until this point is telling you that that's wrong. It's yeah. telling you that you're being lazy. It's telling you you're not doing anything. Most it's of telling your bosses you, told you that. Mo- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like your whole, or at least, uh, I mean, I've known you for a long time, so I can just assume, but like my whole work experience is the opposite of that. Oh, for sure. I mean, I still forever remember stepping into a head of retail and being like, uh, and actually this is maybe one of the better parts of the advice that I actually got while I was elsewhere, but it was like, I actually don't want you to be in the cafe at all. But the unfortunate part was there was no action plan with what that even meant. It was just like, I don't want you to be in the cafe. I don't want you to be effective. And that's true, but I don't know what the hell that meant. And that's where there was a major miss, but it's true. You need to be able to find out how to be effective without doing the work for the people who you hired to do the work or else there's no ability for you to teach them to grow, which means there's no ability for the company to grow, which means there's no job for them in the future, which means there's no growth opportunity for them in the future, which means you have already stopped your business from progressing. There you have it, folks. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm just really excited to have a life. I'm walking around. That's why I'm excited, man. Jared's back. Endorphins are high. He's out of the hospital. He's going to be picking up 15 pounds in no time. He can do his own grocery shopping. I am authorized. He can drive his own car. Yep. It's time to work on the posture. He's off drugs. All right, everybody. Good morrow. Have a good day. (laughs) The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely 
amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat Club Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. 